The reptilian warships were huge, gleaming globes, fabricated out of special metals, armed to the teeth with deadly weaponry. As noted above, some were the size of small planetoids. These could be steered across deep space by specially trained celestial navigators. The massive dimensions and globular conformation permitted these warships to house sophisticated propulsion systems, heavy equipment, and large populations. For space travel, there was no particular advantage to sleek aircraft design, especially since these spherical ships could carry a very large complement of scout planes and fighter aircraft that could be used within the atmosphere of distant planets. More importantly, they really emulated entire villages or even cities with the ability to produce all the food and support items from the huge crew for trips across the galaxy that could take months or years, as measured on their native planets. Of particular interest was the Queen's flagship. This was the largest of the globular spacecraft, the size of a small planet. Morning Sky refers to it as the Death Star, a mighty starship capable of death and destruction on a scale that was unimaginable to most subjects of the Empire. He says, quote, The completely fabricated globe is designed to be completely self-sufficient. He describes it further, saying, In the upper quadrant of the enormous globe was an enormous, dark, concave depression that housed the huge light cannon, the main weapon of the Queen's At-N. By rotating the gigantic cannon towards its target, the At-N was capable of instantly vaporizing cities, regions, starships, aircraft, and even small planets with its intense beam. The light also had the ability to generate razor-sharp cutting rays that could slice through any ship and penetrating pinpoint beams that could isolate a single individual on a distant world as its target for elimination. Also housed in the light cannon quadrant were sound cutters that had the ability to generate sound waves that could shake apart the molecular structure of most physical objects, stun living beings, and even produce a cutting and ripping beam. Sound waves could also be concentrated into flat beams that could be used to lift extraordinarily heavy loads by aiming the beam under the object and simply raising the beam itself. This claim about the use of sound technology to impart anti-gravity characteristics to large, extremely heavy loads has been encountered before. It is a popular theory as to how the pyramids and other huge monuments in Egypt were built. It adds another note of authenticity to this story. Ripped straight from the pages of Len Caston's Alien World Order, what we're going over this time on Noctivigant. Ghosties, my ghoulies, and my moth people, welcome to Noctivigant, the show about the strange, paranormal, otherworldly, and the people who write books about it. My name is Rory, and I am joined by the opinionated duo, Jay and Nick. Hello. On this show, we are going to discuss, dissect, and review the best and worst in the world of paranormal and conspiracy literature. We have hit the worst. This book made me stupid. So settle in, buckle up, and prepare for a walk on the midnight roads of Noctivigant.
So how are you guys doing today? <laughs> I have been holding on to a hard nugget of rage at the bottom of my soul for several weeks now. And uh, I, I, I don't know for sure, but I think it's going to be very cathartic to uh, purge it out over the airwaves. I hope so, because, I mean, I don't think I've seen you filled with this kind of rage in a long time. Yeah, it's it's been a minute. Uh, you know, something about uh, the pain and suffering of the victims of the Holocaust being used to uh, push this authoritarian, anti-scientific crap uh, just just tends to make Nick a little mad, I've noticed. I have a statement about that that I will, uh, I'm sure to. I will get to as we get into the riveting discussion question. Yeah, no, and uh, because there's so much information to go over in this book, we're going to do this uh, like we did Secret Teachers, and I'm just going to start going over the the story of Alien World Order, and I'm going to break it up with some wonderful discussion questions. You guys ready to dive in? Yeah. I mean, it's happening whether I'm ready or not, so let's do this. All right. The reptilians come from the Draco star system. This is approximately 300 light years from Earth. According to Kasten, there are other humans in the galaxy that were mostly in the Lyra constellation. The reptilians, along with some allies from other star systems, attacked and enslaved 21 star systems in this sector of the galaxy. At the same time, the humans from the Lyra system established peaceful and flourishing civilizations on several other planets. The Draco Reptilians, now with more advanced weaponry than when they invaded these 21 star systems, invaded the Lyra system, destroying three planets and 50 million people. The survivors fled to other star systems, including Alpha Centauri, Cassiopeia, and Andromeda, and even to our own Milky Way. The humans, wanting to push back on reptilian forces, formed the Galactic Federation of Light. This included human colonies from 110 different star systems. This federation colonized Mars and a planet between Mars and Jupiter called Maldic. The reptilians, of course, destroyed Maldic, creating what is now our asteroid belt. But we're going to talk about that in greater detail later. Of course. Mm-hmm. The reptilian planet destroyer. Mm-hmm. The Death Star. Mm-hmm. When passing Mars, stripped it of its atmosphere, forcing all the humans underground. Okay. The reptilians that came to Earth colonized the continent of Lemuria, which at the time was most of the Pacific Ocean. The Federation sent the Atlans, a fierce, blonde-haired, blue-eyed human race from Lyra, to inhabit the continent of Atlantis, which is naturally in the mid-Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. They fought the reptilians with intense electromagnetic weapons, forcing the reptilians underground. They took over large swaths of land under the Indian subcontinent, establishing their own capital city there. Others went to Antarctica. Seems like a lot of people get forced underground. That is, that is a common theme, yeah. <laughs> the reptilians, needing to evolve to defeat the Atlans, learned to shapeshift to appear human. They infiltrated Atlantean civilization, stealing their people to create a scaly Aryan hybrid and slowly infiltrated their society. The Atlanteans, not fooled by this deception, decided to, quote, point their weapons downward, ultimately sinking parts of their own society to the bottom of the Atlantic. The reptilians, seeing victory, unleashed a, quote, fusion bomb, as noted by famed reptilian Lacerta on an interview posted to YouTube. Mm hmm. That can't be found anymore. No, I, I tried. I tried really hard to find it. And, uh, 
I could not. I, I don't know if I was spelling it wrong, if Kasten spelled it wrong. I'm not sure. But this fusion bomb shifted the poles, wiping out the dinosaurs, turning the Gobi into a desert and Antarctica into a frozen hellhole. What was it before? Good question. In an effort to bring peace to this planet, a council met on the planet Hatna and decided to create a new race of people to inhabit this planet, this planet being Earth. Taking the DNA from 12 other human races and the reptilians, they created a new race of people about 40,000 years ago. The reptilians, not able to breed as quickly, remained underground, their numbers still relatively small. According to Alex Collier, only about 1,800 or so, though though Kasten believes that number to not be up to date and that there are considerably more than that now. Mm-hmm. Andrew Hennessy writes about reptilians drinking human blood and eating human flesh. Alex Collier says that more than 13,000 children have been taken over the last 25 years. He received this message telepathically from the Andromians. Okay. Okay. Now into one of our my favorite uh, people of this book, Robert Morningsky. God. Okay. A part Apache, part Hopi historian no. talks about an alien crash survivor sometime before Roswell that six Apache men had brought back to their home and nursed back to health. The Star Elder. This extraterrestrial humanoid in nature was able to live among us as, quote, many humanoid extraterrestrials do routinely. He did remain in contact with the six men that rescued him, though, and he was able to relay to them the whole story of the human prehistory on this planet. And thank God for that, because if not, we wouldn't have it. Yeah. Thank (laughs) God for Bob. Well, learning the real name of our extraterrestrial is Bekti or Bekti, I don't know. It's Bekti. Bekti. He taught them of the evolution of life over millions of years, that the reptilians, or specifically the Keb reptilians, evolved from dragonflies on a planet called the Green World. Due to Morning Sky not being an anthropologist or paleontologist, Casting called this speculation, as this type of development is, quote, highly improbable. Yeah, but the rest of this book, totally on the level, 100% logical fact. I, I mean, I don't see any reason why not. How the fuck do you get lizards out of dragonflies? You, you, I'm more concerned with how he... I'm, I'm more concerned about why he finds that speculative, because it's no more insane than many of the other things mentioned in this book, but I suspect it's because of the word evolve, because as we know from later, he doesn't believe in evolution. Correct. He thinks anything Darwin said is garbage. Yeah. Well, from here, we learn of the race war on the green planet. As told by Morning Sky, the Keb, being a flying reptilian race, took power over the others. One group of the Keb, the Neck, or the Black Ones, through their fearsome black warriors, were able to unite the reptilians under one kingdom. In this new world created by the Keb, the first descendants of the Neck Kings were able to hoard and control the wealth and power of the entire globe. This led to what is now their way of leading and manipulation through profit. Bored with their utopia, the Neck decided that it was time to conquer. Starting with the moons around them, they moved to distant star systems where, to their surprise, they met resistance. Their soldiers, known as the Star Warriors, were taken aback when they learned that other civilization also had warriors that would not just roll over and die. From their own naivete, they lost many battles, to the displeasure of the Neck Kings. The Neck Kings needed to regroup. They needed a new plan. After consideration, they realized that they were missing an opportunity with their female reptilians. 
First, though, of course, they had to rid them of their pesky menstrual cycles. Due to the solar radiation of their multiple suns, they were too predictable and constant. Conveniently, though, once they were in the dark depths of space, the female reptilian's menstrual cycle stopped entirely, and, in fact, they could just choose when they wanted to be pregnant. Conveniently again, now that the venom in the female hormonal system that is no longer needed for reproduction, it, it became a deadly defense mechanism. The female reptilians, going from nothing more than breeders, became the perfect warriors for the neck kings. Yes, every time my fiance is having her period, she too spits acid in my eyes. <laughs> I think he was confusing venom and blood somehow. Yeah, I'm. I maybe I don't know no good no because he he goes on about how well maybe you know it it would be possible that venom has some something to play in menstruation maybe likely probably and anytime he uses the words maybe likely probably he's just adding that to the front of a sentence he knows he can't defend so that people will just accept it and keep rolling through his land of illusions <laughs> I don't think Len Caston has ever physically touched a real living woman um. I, I don't think he has. I I mean, I, I don't know. I, I actually purposely didn't look up anything about him. <laughs> it, admittedly, I did. I did almost no research on him himself, uh, save for reading the book reviews and listening to one interview with him. Oh, I <laughs> speaking of book reviews, I looked up some good read reviews on this book and some of them were glowing and five stars. <laughs> And one was just one star and one word long. And that word was fail. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Right, please. Sorry. Please go on, Rory. Yes. Sure. Enlighten me. <laughs> well, not only did the female reptilians prove to be the best warriors, but they were also gaining secret power and influence in the reptilian government. Over time, the reptilian queen seized control through an assassination of her husband. During the era of this reptilian queen, she pushed for a fiercer military, having her scientists craft a drug that would make her already powerful warriors even more so. The success of this endeavor led her to believe that there is a new way to rule, not through subjugation and death, but through mind control. Good for her. Well, over millions of years of research, they were able to perfect this technology, using it on the new worlds they conquered. This is one of the many comparisons that Kasten uses to argue that the Nazis are reptilian protege of sorts. The Nazis, according to Ian E. Stevens' book, uh, Floridization, Mind Control of the Masses, talks about how the Nazis use fluoride in the water of concentration camps for the same reason. Furthermore, he claims that there is evidence of high levels of aluminum in our atmosphere now that are commonly associated with Alzheimer's. Moving on, I want to go over a little bit of reptilian biology. According to Kasten, a female reptilian can lay eggs, fertilized or not. If they are fertilized, then they become female. If they're not fertilized, then they're males. That doesn't make any sense. Correct. In order to make sure that they only get the best of the females, the queen decided to host Olympic-like events. The winner would become the father for the royal line of females. The reptilian females could then store the male semen until they were ready to give birth. Kasten argues that, due to the Olympics being originally an all-male event, that they were clearly derived from the reptilian royal games. Why? Why does that mean that? Because if I put the word clearly in front of it, 
my truths become self-evident and you can't argue against them because I don't have any evidence to back up my claims. There's nothing for you to pick apart. You could just say that I'm wrong and I could say, well, no, you're a shill or you're being controlled by the reptilians. You see, it's a perfect little loop that lets you avoid any kind of critical thinking. This is going to be a long fucking episode, isn't it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, the reptilian empire grew in scientific prowess over the next who really knows how long. And they were able to develop outstanding technology that would prolong the life of their people. Of course, the queen limited the use to her and her seven rulers, but they were able to regrow new bodies for them, prolong their life, and eventually even transfer their consciousness from one body to the next. Now able to rule for millions of years and having thousands of planets under her control, the queen wanted to cement the female-led society, so she created a breeding program, initially just for her own personal use to get more passionate lovers. She used this program to breed servitude into the males as well as shorter lives. This is the feminist agenda that you were warned about. I I really do dig how just because mommy was thirsty, she completely fucked up all the males of her species. Like, not just to make them shorter and live short, make them, you know, more handsome and live shorter lives, but specifically so they'll have fewer sexual peaks, allowing them to enjoy their male harem for much longer. Yeah. Well, and, uh, she did indeed make them more handsome, more talented, and of course, they had no aspirations outside of pleasing their lovers. Raging reptile dick. But no empire will ever go truly unchallenged. From the planet of the three suns, the wolfen ones began to emerge. A society of dog-like people with a lion's mane of hair, ruthless and warmongering, they flew to the stars in ships made from hollowed-out asteroids. Dear God. <laughs> The Wolfen Ones fought and conquered their way to what is called the Ninth Passageway. This was, or is, a populated trade route that was controlled by the reptilian forces. Mm-hmm. The Queen could destroy them. She knew that if she wanted to, but she saw this as an opportunity to fix some past mistakes. The Wolfen people were the embodiment of the masculine warlike ideals that were now lost to her people due to that breeding program. Mm-hmm. So she offered them an alliance, or really servitude, in exchange for their lives. They would be allowed to continue conquering outside of the reptilian space and would just have to give up half of their wealth to the Empire, among many other concessions. The Wolfen Ones, feeling backed into a corner, took way too long to decide on the terms, and so the reptilian forces brutalized their army in one go, forcing the hand of the elders of the Wolfen Ones. And this leads us to discussion question number one. I don't want to be the kind of person that makes false implications. So maybe your thoughts or maybe with your thoughts, we can come to some kind of conclusion here. But I can't help to see some overwhelming misogynistic elements in these stories. Casting claims that his story comes from an alien who told it to Morning Sky's people. But I can't help but think that's not entirely true. Do you guys see elements of that here? The chauvinist fragility that interwove every fucking sentence of that bullshit fake history would have made me laugh if it didn't make me so unbelievably nauseous. That just but what do you mean? It can't be sexist because the girls got on top. Hashtag girl boss. Listen, listen, <laughs> Len Caston, you 
I I don't I'm not going to I'm not going to call you names Len Caston because you're not listening to this and I don't have the time to come up with a name searing enough that it will make me feel better but let me just break down for you first of all that's not how fucking menstruation works you stupid piece of shit True <laughs> I, I Second of all, again, the chauvinist fragility of the men, the great, great men that built the whole empire in a moment of desperation resorted to letting the girls pick up a couple of guns because they were shorthanded. But no, no, the minute the girls realized there was something beyond being a trad wife doormat, they <laughs> fucking were like, we're going to stop. Stop menstruating, and all of our congealed menstrual blood is going to come shooting out of our mouth. <laughs> what the what the fuck is wrong with you, Len Caston? Jesus Christ! I'm sorry, Ginger Snaps traumatized you the first time you watched it when you were a kid, but. <clears throat> Grow the fuck up. And the idea of just like, oh, and the the wolfen ones, the, the, the testosterone circus of cannibalism and conquest of it's just like that. When I say chauvinist fragility, I mean the fact that he has to spend an entire, like, what, fucking chapter building up the might of the reptilian queen so we all know how uh-huh. badass they are. No, because It's like, it's like 10% of the book. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's just like, so you know exactly how badass they are. So it's like, of course the wolfen ones got, got, got beat by the girls because the girls weren't playing fair. There were, there were, there were so many of them and they had, they had, they had icky, icky period blood. <laughs> they had icky period blood that they could shoot out of squirt guns in their mouths <laughs> and that's why that's why the boys didn't do good that's why the boys didn't do good but they needed the boys they needed the boys because because girls girls don't know how to fight girls don't know how to fight they know how to make daisy chains and they know how to do math and they can't fight though which is why they needed the dogs the boys who are dogs well, i prom- it's not i, I that's why girls are in charge is because of their icky period bloody. There's too many of them. Oh, my God, Lancaster. So uh, just kind of build off that there. What's actually was interesting to me is it, right away, the narrative doesn't make sense, which, OK, yes, there are sexist elements that I definitely noticed throughout this uh, <laughs> throughout this little initial bit we've gone through. However, to be completely honest, the, the the sexism that to me was among the least of the sins, not because it's it's a good thing or anything like that, but just because I like mathematically, it was a smaller portion of the book dedicated to those ideas than to some of the other shitty ideas that we're going to be coming to. Sure. Um, yeah. No, one thing I, I will. I, I but one of the biggest complaints I have about this book, beyond sexism racism anti-semitism all the isms that you want to throw on this is that on a very basic level it does not make sense (laughs) and what i mean by that is okay the females according to the lore that we've been given by robert morning sky and i i have a something to say about mr sky uh, bullshit bob god uh is that so the the female reptilians allowed for this grand conquest. They swept the galaxy. People couldn't stand against them. They were so fast and lethal. And when complemented by their male troops, they were unstoppable. Um, and 
then we get to this whole weird saga of the reptilian queen deciding that she needed to bring that masculine force back into her army that her army was missing. And then when they took too long deliberating, she annihilated them. And the whole time I'm sitting there asking, why the fuck do you need them? The basic story here is saying they are capable of something you're not. And the moment they take too long, you beat them at their own game immediately with no resistance. I mean, the only explanation that I can think of is she was going to subjugate the people one way or the other. It was whether or not they were going to have any kind of say in it, right? So... She was giving them that option. They took too long. She wiped out the majority of them and forced their hand. But now she can use them for whatever it is that she wanted, which in this case is breeding. That whole Uh. narrative of just like the reptilian queens are infinitely better at everything we do uh, because X, Y, and Z, but also they are inherently inferior to us because they lack that male that male veracity that male virility that inclines them towards the art of war but also they're way better at war than us so that's why right. you don't have to feel your ego getting bruised by getting trounced by them that's just a very common narrative in in racism and prejudice of it's like we see that throughout all of human history the enemy is simultaneously weak and strong the the enemy is simultaneously inferior and superior and it it, it, it's literally it's literally just a tool of subjugation to convince you to be prejudiced towards the correct people you know that's an actually you brought up an interesting point if the females you know are the reason why the reptilians were so successful and they were better at war there's no reason no logical reason at least that they would actually need that male ferocity whatever that uh, Leonard said yeah because they're already successful they don't they don't need that and they don't even need males to produce more females so there's absolutely no reason oh no they need males to produce females so that's the only yeah. reason they would be needed to be kept around which it- which again does not make sense because that implies that implies that the females are the ones deciding that that means that their fem- that the female reproductive is is what's deciding the chromosomal components but that's not how it fucking works and well right it, uh, the unfertile it would make more sense if the fertilized eggs were uh, were male and the unfertilized female Correct. yes yeah. well but that said that's assuming they have the same chromosomes as us but i don't think that's an absurd thing to assume within the context of their story no no especially not with what they what we go over later uh, yeah. they menstruate obviously they have more in common with us than with lizards on our home planet because guess humans are actually uh, off the top of my head the only creatures i can think of that actually menstruate on this planet i did actually i did actually do some googling about animal menses today cool uh there are a couple species on earth that menstruate and there is exactly one species of lizard that has something kind of like menstruation but it is definitely a minority of species on earth yeah it's it's because of our very particular mating cycle that we had to evolve like it's not yeah Uh, so i have to talk about bob for a second so robert morning sky uh so his story that was told to him supposedly by his grandfather about the star elder and they helped him and he told them all this truth about the reptilians and the and the wolven kings and all this. Um, Robert Morning Sky, and this is based off of whatever research I could dig up and really my own deep soul belief 
is full of shit. <laughs> and the reason I and yeah. what you need to understand is that he is not just a source of this book. He is the sole source of the entire reptilian Syrian history uh-huh. that ends up presenting the that, that constitutes the bedrock of the argument. Correct. The entirety of this book is built on loose sand. Yeah. Syrian being where the Wolfen ones yes, allegedly came yes, from. Yes, not Syrian as in Syria here on Earth. Yeah, which and- was. Uh, he mentions the Syrians later, though, which we'll get to that special racism. Uh, <laughs> no, but Bob, as far as I could tell, is a total liar. And worse than that, he's a well, now it's the same. He's a pretendian. Uh, he uh, he claims to be half Apache, half Hopi. Both of those tribes uh, say he's not. They uh, both disavow him. They both have both uh, of them have said that his name is not even close to the kinds of names they'd have in their culture. Um, and not just that, he has been known to network and work with and present alongside other people who also pretend to be Native Americans for profit. Um, and it is a profit game. You have to understand he has been charging for talks for the past 40 years and the prices are not, um, modest. Uh, he is still on his website is advertising new talks and lectures that he's doing and all of it. All of it is just about getting that mighty dollar. Didn't his ex-wife also say in a phone interview that he was full of shit? Yeah, so she said, well, the actual quote is, well, Bob is full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that sums up uh, Morning Sky pretty well. Well, and the uh, one supporter I found of Robert Morning Sky that was arguing against all this, he's a fraud thing. Their core of their argument was, of course, he's a Native American. Just look at him. Oh, God. Um, also at several points throughout the, throughout the book, Len Caston, um, uh, we're talking about George Lucas later, right? Yep. I'm not going to bring up the shit about Morning Sky and George Lucas right now. That's actually the next part we're going into. Hooray. All right. Let's get into Star Wars. All right. Thank God. (laughs) So Len goes on to describe some of the awesome technology that the reptilian forces have. Drawing comparisons to the Death Star from Star Wars. Uh, he even goes on to explain the premise of the 2015 movie, Eye in the Sky, as a subtle jab from the reptilian-controlled Illuminati Hollywood executives. That they allowed this as a joke or maybe a threat to say that they are indeed here, always, around, and always watching. Something he believes is also the point of the Eye of Providence symbol on the back of the U.S. dollar. Kasten spends several pages comparing the writings of Robert Morning's Sky and Star Wars. He claims that, since we don't see the stormtroopers or Darth Vader's face, that they could be reptilian in nature, proving, at least to me, that the man knows nothing about the fictionally Star Wars universe. And additionally, everything I could find on the Eden Atlantis and the UFO myth by Morning Sky, it maybe came out around 1992 because that's the first time that I could find something reference to it. I did find a publishing date supposedly of 1980, but that's still three years after the first Star Wars and came the out. the book itself, because I downloaded a PDF copy of it because it's easy as fuck to find, unlike what Caston uh, says. Um, and there's no publishing date in the book. Which is deliberate. There is no way that is not deliberate. Correct. He goes on to compare the works of John Carter to Star Wars, which is a known comparison. George Lucas has said that himself, but even goes on to call Edgar Rice Burroughs, like H.G. Wells, a prophet. That made me so fucking angry. 
for he predicts things like seminar. He claims that since the comparison to Star Wars are so similar, like the reptilian flagship being called the Death Star, that the only logical conclusion is that George Lucas must have known about the reptilian history. Now, an entity known as Bactar claims to have channeled information and published in an article called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly in Ufology that George Lucas had some E.T. encounters in his dreams through the astral realm and sometimes even physically that inspired Star Wars. Now, many of... And this is, it's going to seem like I'm going off track a little, but trust me, there's a point here. But many of Caston's sources are David Icke, Alex Collier, uh, Wes Penray, uh, Bruce Allen DeWitten, or DeWalton, known as Branton. And for a good portion of this book is Stuart Swerdlow. So a quick aside, uh, according to and about the author on uh, Huffington Post, Stuart Swerdlow has the ability to see energy fields and personal archetypes, as well as read DNA sequences and mind patterns. He's a cult leader. He's a powerful and intuitive. He uses and teaches universal law to help others resolve life issues, even reaching into simultaneous existences and beyond. His great uncle, Yakov Sverblo, was the first president of the Soviet Union, leading to Stewart's involvement in the infamous Montauk Project. And he is, quote, a globally sought after author and lecturer. Um. So I actually found something interesting about Swordlow. Sure. Uh, so now this is again, mind you, this is mined from Google. So and with when it comes to these topics, it's very difficult to figure out uh, what if what you're reading is any more true than you know anything else. Uh huh. But that said, uh, there was a pretty compelling argument that I came across that he's most of the information that he quote unquote channeled, he actually like word for word stole it from another contactee <laughs> that he met, and then he immediately monetized it. Of course, he did. Which, you know, with David, if you know, considering he's mentioned the same breath as David Icke, they're in good company. Yeah. David Icke is a white supremacist. Just, well, just, 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 just a reminder. David Icke is a white supremacist. Listeners at home, he is a white supremacist. That there is certainly an argument to be made there. Yeah. Well, Swerdlow claims that everything we know about the history of the Earth is a lie. Fascinating. <laughs> that the right. technology we use is not infallible and has come up with errors that contradict their own claims. While this is true, his argument that the reptilians brought their own animals to this planet, those animals being dinosaurs, of course, that this is the only logical explanation as to why we see no evolution to or from dinosaurs. Uh the existence of animals like alligators and crocodiles obviously escaping him at the time of writing. Also fucking birds. Yeah. Well, earlier I had mentioned that the early humans, the Lyrans, had come here fleeing the reptilians who had just destroyed three of their planets and 50 billion people. Swerdlow, according to Mr. Caston, goes on further to describe some of the tech that the reptilians had to use against the peaceful farming people. Swordlow claims that they were able to hollow out ice comets and meteors, create black holes to then pull the comets under directional control, and then launched one of those ice comets at the solar system. They claim that it passed Uranus and it caused the planet to flip on its side so that it now rotates horizontally. 
This comet then passed by, not colliding with, but passed by Maledic. And that's that, that planet that we don't, that, that became the, uh, the asteroid belt. And that, the comet passing it by is what caused the planet to explode. So, earlier, when I mentioned the planet destroyer the reptilians used, I guess he means this ice comet. Because now he claims that... He definitely called it a Death Star earlier. Yeah, no, or something like that. He definitely did, yeah. But now he claims that this comet is what messed with the atmosphere of Mars when it passed by, forcing the inhabitants underground, which kind of contradicts what is said in the introduction. Or the comet did encounter Earth, but unlike the other planets, it settled into orbit here and, in a way, was almost helpful to the planet. It removed much of the water, as Earth was a holy water planet at the time, and an atmosphere developed. The land masses emerged as the water dissipated and ice formed at the poles. Though earlier, casting claims that the South Pole, at least, was not an icy landmass until the reptilians had set off their fusion bomb. And I do want to note, he never mentions the fusion bomb again in the book after the first time it was mentioned in the introduction. I've started to develop this theory that he wrote each chapter completely individually. And like, you know, when little kids are like learning how to read and they can't, they have to like take it one word at a time. And you're just like, once you make that connection of being able to look at the word in context, that's when you can really become literate and read. I think Len Caston is doing that with the chapters in his book, yeah. and he's just building each one in almost complete isolation from all the others, so he doesn't notice that none of this shit is adding up. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you. But so this comment, it uh, you know, it destroyed Maledic, though he does say later on uh, in the book that he believes that when it passed by Maledic that they had shot some kind of laser at it. But of course, uh, you know, he doesn't give us any kind of evidence. It just seems like a lot of people had lasers. Yeah. And now no one has lasers anymore. Well, that comet eventually settled and became uh, the planet Venus after it fixed Earth or made Earth better. And the reptilians were now able to travel from the asteroid, now Venus, to Earth as they were living inside the ice comet that they were travel that they had, you know, sent to this solar system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're living inside the asteroid, they were protected from the radiation and heat of our sun. Mm-hmm. So, but they're lizards; they need heat. And he goes over all of this to conclude at the end of the chapter that maybe George Lucas did have the whole reptilian story, that maybe he did know the true history, because maybe we knew from previous incarnations or past lives that maybe we were on Mars or Maledic when the reptilian Death Star flew overhead. And in, in addition to the reptilian madness, Swordlow also claims that the moon is artificial, that it is hollow and created by the reptilians, that it does not spin or rotate, and it is fixed with one side always facing the Earth. This, we know, with science, is irrevocably false. So, discussion question number two. Joy. I'm so ready. With our tinfoil hats on. I don't want to. Do you think it's possible (laughs) that George Lucas did have insight from the reptilians and then created Star Wars? Okay, so before I force this lubed up tinfoil hat over my unwilling head, <laughs> um, I wanted to point out a couple things in this section that bothered me. One, so the Death Stars are meant for space operations, correct? 
Um, th- you mean like the Star Wars Death Star? No, no, no. The, the lizard people's Death Star. The oh. Death Star, the only one that was actually called the Death Star was the reptilian uh, flagship. They're globular ships, though. Those things. Yeah, but they, yeah. Ha- they had tons of those. The Death yeah. Star was only the queen ship. I find it interesting that they are built for space operations, but contain sonic weapons, given my understanding of science, saying there's no sound in space as there's no air monocle- b- molecules to vibrate off of. So sonic weapons wouldn't work. Due to the lack of scientific research in this book, do you honest to God believe that Kasten knew that? Do you think Glenn Caston thinks that we can breathe in space? Um, beyond that, I, I also have to point out that in this section, uh, he references and quotes uh, a book called Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, which he wrote. Yep. So what that means, and this is not the only time he does this in the book, he is basically saying, this is true. Why? My source is me. I said it's true. So you know it's true. I don't but, believe you, Len Caston. Um... But now let's get into this whole topic of Star Wars. Yes, talk about George Lucas. I, I, I think um not. I think that. All right, don't be wrong. I <laughs> uh, I think it's possible George Lucas. You know, there's plenty of conspiracy theories that say that George Lucas had some sort of insider information from the military or the government when he was making Close Encounters of the Third Kind, kind of as a way of prepping uh the people for the eventuality of first contact. And sure, I could buy that. That's a fun story. Um, but this I don't. I don't buy this at all. Largely because his source material came out three years after Star Wars and clearly ripped it off. Um, but also, I have to also point out this other thing that he he mentions as if it's a self-evident fact, which is he re- routinely references the Illuminati Hollywood, the Illuminati bankers, and not once, not even a single goddamn sentence is given towards what his interpretation of what the Illuminati even is, what it means. It is the nefarious human control, whatever, whatever you, it is a placeholder for whenever you don't want to actually have to do work and figure out who's actually pulling the strings up there. You get, see what I mean? It's a word that can be dropped into any conspiracy theory. Because it means nothing. There is no real Illuminati. There was. We ha- but as far as we can tell, they're probably gone. And it was probably not as big as not as big or as widespread as a lot of conspiracy theories like to think it was. They were an underground intellect intellect preservation movement. They were they were a society dedicated to the preservation of science, history, and um ethical philosophy and things like that during a time when the church was burning anyone who dared to stand against them. Right. That's basically what the Illuminati was, is they were an attempt to uh, forge a secret school in the name of preserving science during the church's uh, more set people on fire eras. That's all the Illuminati was, you guys, is it was nerds. It was nerds being like, no, don't burn the book. But if I'm writing this book and I need to prove my points and I say the Illuminati control Hollywood, then I can use the plot of literally any movie ever made as evidence. Yes, exactly. You can. But this to me highlights the big problem of conspiracy thought. It lets you throw darts at a board and then connect them with whatever pieces of yarn you can find that are long enough regardless of if it makes sense it's real easy to say the moon is hollow and artificial when you say that nasa is controlled by the illuminati and nazis and lizard people 
from the fucking Draco system. Right. Like, because you can't trust anything he's, they say then. And it's just like, dude, at a certain point, we have to trust somebody. And quite frankly, Len Caston, NASA gives me more evidence than you do. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, routinely while t- taking my notes, I wrote down, where's the evidence? Where is any kind of a uh, logical case that is built to make me think that this could be a reality? And it was simply not there. Um, <laughs> providing evidence I don't uh, like actual evidence I don't think was the goal of this book I think to him the goal of this book was to put down the, the, the stories that he was told by these people or the books that he read from these people whatever and just to say see it's a fucking lizard people well and I think that he was definitely ju- Len Caston whether he believes this or not I don't know what his actual beliefs are but oh, he believes it. I think he saw a good bandwagon to jump on, uh, specifically a lot of the other reptilian theorists. Obviously, we mentioned David Icke already. Um, and he seem, it seems like he just took bits and pieces of their theories, cut them up and put them together in his own format. Yeah. Um, and because of that, though, he knew his audience were people that were already into this. Like his audience was already people who thought David Icke was telling the truth, who already thought there was a reptilian conspiracy and that Hillary Clinton eats babies in the basement of a pizza parlor. Right. Um, and and so he didn't I, I guess maybe this book wasn't for me because I wanted to be convinced and he made no attempt to do that um, in any sort of logical or sane way. And to the point of what Jay said at the start of the episode, I felt dumber <laughs> after finishing this. And that upset me because I love reading. I love to broaden my mind. And I did not have my mind broadened here. I had it pumped full of strychnine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I personally also don't think that George Lucas is a puppet of Oh, shit, that was the question? Yes, that was the question. Uh, Is George Lucas a puppet of Illuminati Hollywood? And I don't think he is, just because I feel like... I feel like Star Wars wouldn't have become like it did if there were... (laughs) Well, my my, my favorite part is, later on, we're talking about Star Wars, so I'll, I'll mention it now. Uh, He brings up NASA and the secret space program. Uh, which I'm sure Rory will be taking us through on a wonderful voyage. Probably, However, yeah. his argument for as evidence of what of how we know NASA is lying about the types of advances we've made in space travel, other than his strange belief that uh, rockets are clearly out of date and we should and, you know, uh, rockets are clearly out of date and they're antiquated technology as if he's ever gone to space. Well, also, one thing I think is hilarious about that is when he talks about um he talks about the kind of technology that the reptilians used. One of them is rocket technology or rocket-like technology. Yeah. But then uh, later on in the book, when he's talking about the human endeavors, he calls rockets ancient technology. Yeah. Well, and so, but my, my bigger issue here is that his proof uh, that NASA is doing this is the fact that people like sci-fi. I'm not like that is his argument that on a subconscious level, we sense that we're being denied the stars. And so we seek out sci fi to get our fix. And I'm sorry, you you bastard. You don't get to take an entire genre I love and work it into your bizarre sex fantasy about a reptile queen who you want to step on you. That was kind of I went through something similar of like. 
Rory, I believe, witnessed this a couple of times of me going, keep Edgar Rice Burroughs name yeah. out of your fucking mouth of it's like one of the unsung heroes of modern sci fi who via Tarzan and Princess of Mars led to the creation of Flash Gordon, which led to the creation of Star Wars. We know where George Lucas got his ideas from. Yeah. Star Wars was him going, I want to make Flash Gordon. Them saying, we will not give you the right. And he went, well, then fuck you. And he did exactly what Seth MacFarlane did with the fucking Orville. And it was great. And it was amazing. And he he owes it all to Edgar Rice Burroughs. But obviously, no, no. Edgar Rice Burroughs was a fucking prophet. And Orson Welles. Yep. H.G. Wells. Yeah, H.G. Wells. I noticed a theme in this book that he doesn't seem to like creatives. No, he does not. And and maybe that's just in part because, you know, he obviously, a part of him really wanted to be a writer and he failed spectacularly. <laughs> you know, he obviously couldn't cut it as a regular writer. So he's writing this shit and now he's throwing any creative under the under some reptilian bus. Yeah, we're it's, it's all Illuminati. Right. Well, and, and also the, the whole argument that science fiction authors are really prophets because they predict technology is like, I, I'm sorry. No, that the, we know how this happens. We know because of the people who then invent that technology, they were inspired by the story. Exactly. Science fiction uh, has often been a vehicle for science fact because it, it titillates the imagination. Yep. It gets some engineer somewhere sitting and thinking, hey, maybe I can make that work. And then they do. And that's amazing. That's incredible. And it is not the reptile. <laughs> also, science fiction authors frequently stay up to date on what's like what's in the works, like what yeah. are we trying to build, and they extrapolate. All- That's what most of the people that created Shadowrun were doing. Is yep. they were just they they saw where technology was going and they extrapolated, and like that's that's normal. That's yeah. completely normal. Uh, also, sorry, I did one other thing here. The planet, the ice comet that became Venus uh, was described explicitly as being the same size as Earth. And then it became Venus. I'm not sure if some sort of strange alchemy equivalent exchange happened there, if it had to eat a sun to do it. But that didn't make sense. Well, again, you're expecting cast in here to have looked up science fact. Wait, where did the artificial ice planet ship get its fancy and the fancy schmancy atmosphere that Venus currently has, because Venus is a very fancy schmancy atmosphere. Um, it's, it's very all dog farts. Farts. It's all dog farts. Yeah, the Wolven conquerors on there. They yeah. just left them in there. They've just been farting up a storm. It's all dog <laughs> farts. That's what they needed the males for. They needed them for their gas. To, yeah, to create. A foul egg smelling atmosphere. Because as the three of us realize sitting here together, if it's just like the the girls, the, the, the girls with their gross, icky period blood did not need the masculine war effort. So there has to be some other reason why they why they made the boys come play house with them. Yep. They just needed those uh those dog buttholes. I just I feel like Len Caston really wanted to play dress up with his sisters and with the girls on the block and they told him not to which was probably very mean of them but like len you can play with the girls now that you're a grown-up you just have to like shower <laughs> oh god uh yeah I, I i think that's about all i can say did was george lucas in on the reptilian plot no 
because as far as I, because based off of what we've been given in this book, I've been given no compelling reason to believe there is a reptilian plot. If 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 the Illuminati was backing George Lucas in order to make Star Wars, that means that the Illuminati is less powerful than Disney because Disney forcibly acquired the rights away from George Lucas prior to the creation of the he, sequel trilogy. Even the Illuminati know you don't fuck with the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, for one, I, for one, welcome our new rodent overlord. Well, moving on. Craston goes on to tell the history of Atlantis, how <clears throat> they were an advanced civilization and they had technology to prolong life for thousands of years. They had rid their civilization of all disease and illness. They had learned to communicate telepathically so that they communicate with so that they could communicate with dolphins, which are, of course, also extraterrestrial beings. Um, no, they're not. <laughs> Correct. For many years after the planning of the new human race, the Atlans, Martians, and Maladakians were working to purge the Earth of the reptilian forces. There was even a nuclear war. The reptilians, realizing that they were on the losing end of this battle, decided to infiltrate the Atlans. Not having been mentioned before, but conveniently mentioned now, the reptilians, apparently, reside in the fourth dimension, thus giving them access to evil beasties from the astral realm. The reptilians use these creatures to abduct Atlanteans and scare and terrorize humans. The reptilians, using the abducted Atlanteans, created an army of black magicians. Using the clairvoyant powers that come naturally to the Atlanteans, these black magicians harness their sexual energies to supply their power. Why is everything about sex in this book? That's why I, I suspect Lenkassen doesn't hate women. He just thinks sex is grody. He could be ace. At a certain point, isn't that the same thing? I mean, not if he's also hating his own dick. I really need to know how much time he spends screaming at his own genitals. Okay, I don't think it's the main facet of what he is, but I do think Len Caston definitely hates women. <laughs> like, I mean, it's quite possible. I I don't know him. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't know. I I would definitely I definitely would say that there is um evidence to support that. Textual. There is textual support for that hypothesis. Yeah. So this sexual energy, which resides in each of our cells activated long dormant volcanoes, eventually leading to the Atlantean people's desperate attempt to end this fight. They turned their death ray downward and fired, causing massive nuclear fallout, cracking the earth and tilting its axis. Oops. After the fallout, such areas as Egypt, Greece, and Rome were colonies of the Atlantean survivors. Casting claims that this is due to Atlan influence, that Greece and Egypt had no barbaric period, what he means by barbaric period is utterly lost on me. Because <laughs> it's not defined or explained in any way. Meanwhile, the forces of the reptilians were growing restless. Denied other assignments from their queen, they decided to take their fate into their own hands. Their new king, Marduk, decided to take over the Soul Star system, and with the help of the Earth Underground was able to do so quickly and efficiently. On Earth, he rose to power in Babylon and dominated the Mesopotamian Valley. His quick rise to power and his family status stroked his reptilian ego so much so that he dubbed himself the Lord Creator of the Universe, or I'm sorry, the Lord God Creator of the Universe, henceforth known as the Sun God Ra. 
After a coup from Marduk's own people, he was forced to either flee the planet or was killed. The Shet'ai, uh, his group of scientific lizards, took over control. Using their magnetic field as influence, they replaced the worship of Ra with Amun, but kept the people monotheistic, uh, so as to not rouse suspicions in their human slaves. Through the years and with reptilian influence, the Egyptian kingdom conquered and became rich. The reptilian overlords used this wealth to create a central banking system that, like today, is how they continue to spread their influence and control over us, through money. The reptilians knew the power that religion has over the human race, and so influenced the creation of new ones. Starting with early Judaism, the reptilians spoke to Moses from Assyrian craft from the top of Mount Sinai, giving him the Ten Commandments that were engraved not in tablets, but crystals. The Ark of the Covenant that held the Torah was an electromagnetic receiver that was highly charged. Sodom and Gomorrah were not struck down by God, but by atomic bombs because of all the AIDS and gay sex. The Federation, seeing they had to stop the spread of this reptilian heresy, decided to fight faith with faith. They abducted a young woman, who we now know as Mary, and implanted in her a baby with a singular purpose, to stop the spread of the reptilian overlords and bring humanity back to their Aryan ways. Jesus, or Emmanuel, a brown man, was taught by the Federation and even taken to one of their crafts. Uh, except he he was not brown. He was white and blonde-haired and blue-eyed because of the pure Lyrian blood running in his veins. Just like Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Who is a perfect model of femininity. Everyone in the Bible is white. Uh-huh. Except for Mary Magdalene's slave. She gets to be black. None of the... Yeah. <sighs> Fucking sons of bitches. Well, Jesus did his job well. He influenced the masses by preaching a radical new idea of loving one another. Uh-huh. Something casting claims was not done prior to this, but is a foundational message in countless faiths across the planet that predate Christianity. What the fuck does he think Buddhism and Hinduism are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're not real. <laughs> like evolution. Oh my God, flay me alive. If it doesn't, if look, if I can't read about it on my phone while standing in line at a Wendy's trying to get a Baconator, I don't want to know about it. Uh, you know, a quick quick aside here. I was uh, I was actually editing Secret Teachers today before recording uh, this episode. And Jay, something that you brought up was that there were rumors that Jesus studied in India. Yep. Well, according to Caston, he was smuggled there by Palladian friends. Yes, I remember that, and it made me very angry. <laughs> I really hate it when Len Caston gets things 75% right, and he's like, I don't understand the last 25%. And I'm sitting there going like, yeah, man, it's an academic puzzle. We're all going to solve it together. We're going to go to the Bible conference, and we're going to have some speculation. Aliens. Nazi aliens. No, Len. Yes, though. Yes, though. Aliens and ice death stars and icky period blood. <laughs> that is the fuel that makes the universe tick. I swear to God. And also the icky period blood sometimes comes from the fourth dimension. But that's not going to be important for the rest of the book. Well, Caston moves on to tell us the history and spread of Christianity but spends quite a lot of time on the Roman adoption of Christianity because, according to Caston, it was a reptilian plot. He also speculates that maybe Constantine was already a hybrid. Either way, it was a plot to undermine and gain control of the Federation-created Christianity. It seems to me 
that there is no big world move or like kind of world changing event that is ever without the influence of our great reptilian overlords. Mm-hmm. And with that, we're going to go on to the next discussion question. Oh, yay. Good. So according to Caston, Judaism was created by the reptilians and Christianity by the Federation to thwart Judaism. And then Christianity was overtaken by the reptilians. Now, we know that there has been a lot of changes and manipulations to Christianity over the years, from biblical text changes to the Pope making decisions for the whole faith. Is it possible that this is some plot by some higher being to manipulate us? Christianity did spread faster and further than any other religion ever. So setting all of the crazy parts aside, I could see how this could be used as a tool by some greater being, especially with the influence that Christianity has over the masses today. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, to put it simply, sure. I, what I mean by that is, sure, I could entertain that thought. There's nothing in my brain that's screaming, no, that's impossible. Uh, because I wasn't there, and our our actual histories of that period are pretty loose. And if you do read, uh, not just biblical, some biblical scriptures, but a lot of ancient texts, there are descriptions of visitations by angels or jinn or spirits of the Lord that, in a modern context, do look a lot like visitations from some sort of higher intelligence, maybe UFO, maybe something celestial. I don't know, but. I so sure I think there could be some higher intelligence at play here. Do I believe that the uh, Jewish people were created by the reptilians in order to enslave and control us under a hegemonic order of world banking? God, no. Um, Similarly, do I believe that uh, Christ was created by uh, our Aryan brothers from a far distant realm? No, I, I I think he might have been a real person. I think there's some good historical evidence he's a real person. And I think on the whole, he has a pretty groovy message. But that said, uh, I don't I don't believe this. I, I don't believe a word of it. So so I'm going to go step by step through some of the some of the shit that Len Caston has said and explain why again the conclusions that he's extrapolating from the information he presents to us are not solid. Um, Like his whole thing about like the Elohim are an alien race that was sent to govern the earth and take and, and control us. And you can tell that because in the first part of Genesis, uh, the creature Elohim is using we and us. Yes. Elohim's plural. Yes, God may have been plural, but that may have had a lot more to do with the idea of God being an inherently fractal entity, as we were talking about on Secret Teachers. Uh, So that's stupid. Um, He is... (laughs) That's not... It's a race of gods, little g. If I had to hear God with a little g one more fucking time, that's stupid. That's stupid, Len Caston. No. So there's that. Elohim is a plural word, but that doesn't mean that it was aliens. Jesus Christ. It means that there was either two gods or that God considered itself an inherently fractal entity. And the reason that Genesis contradicts itself is not due to reptilian influence or whatever the fuck he was saying. It was because 
the first early books of the Bible were oral histories for thousands upon thousands of years that were then later codified into texts and compromises had to be made. There were, as he points out later on in the book, there were different tribes and subsets of the people that would later become the Hebrews that would later become the Jews. So yeah, those first few books, they read a little weird because it's basically if we were taking the version of history that gets taught in Texas public schools and mashing it together with what gets taught in the Harvard historical programs and saying like, yep, and that's that's the history of America. So that's fucking fine. It's I not just, a problem. Just throwing a dash of uh, America, the motion picture in there, <laughs> which is amazing. And people should watch it. Oh, God. It, I mean, I don't watch it. sober. no, 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 no. Watch do it not sober. watch it. Get sober. fucked up and watch it. It's, yeah. it's delightful. Yeah. Um, another another quick point. Um, that whole claim that what the serpent uh, or what he was like, the that he was like, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent, which was obviously a reptilian, goes slithering in there and he fucks Eve. He fucks her under the under the apple tree and teaches her what sex is. And that's that's why humans are all fucked up and corrupted now. And it's like, that is disobedience to God. That was the actual original sin, according to literally every Jewish person who has ever existed. It has never been. a. That's not even the dominant Christian interpretation. That's not even the fucking Catholic Church's interpretation of what that is. No, because you got to understand when women want to have sex, it's evil. Right. Because it makes their icky period blood stop being icky period blood and turns it into castration venom that they can spray out of their horrible castration (laughs) venom. I want to I want to make a fucking energy drink called that and sell it in stores across the country. Okay. Castration venom. Guaranteed to shrink your testicles. 325 Um, milligrams of caffeine. It's going to fuck you up. Okay. I remember I remember what I was going to say now. He also uses in there the story of Jesus chasing the money lenders away from the temple oh, as yeah. proof that Judaism was inherently a religion of greed designed to create a central world banking system to keep the to keep the goyim under control First of all, that story, we are 99% sure, is completely apocryphal and was added into later Gospels in order to justify anti-Semitic actions by the church. Second of all, the moneylenders at the temple did exist, and they were considered pillars of the fucking community because... worship of Yahweh is centralized to the temple in the old in the Old Testament in the Israel based religion of Judaism that had to be changed, obviously, because us, we, the non-Jewish people kept burning it the fuck down and conquering their land. But anyway, people would have to travel from all over the Jewish homeland in order to worship Yahweh at the temple. So, you know, when they get there, they have to, you know, buy animal sacrifices and new clothes and fucking food for their children. So guess what happens? Guess what happens? Money lenders to transfer to change their local currency into the centralized currency start popping up, as do people with stalls selling animals and clothes and food for their children. If Jesus actually did chase the money lenders out 
out of the temple, it was because he was fucking high and he didn't know what was <laughs> happening. Not because Jewish people hoard all the wealth and use it to sell castration venom. Yeah, I, I think um, his... I knew, I knew when I read that his reference to that story that that was going to set you off. Um, but also, like, I think that actually s- says a lot about Caston's lack of research into the actual faiths, because so much of what he said he said about religion in general throughout this book was just flat wrong. My final conclusion is. Yes, Christianity is being altered via a higher power in order to control us, and that is whoever is currently in charge of the most dominant faction of Christianity. It's literally the same boring oppression we go through every single day of our lives. Mm -hmm. The reason, from my interpretation, the reason Christianity swallowed the world as quickly as as it did is because a combination of the fact that it's centering orthodoxy, correct belief over orthopraxy, correct action makes it very easy to just sort of drop it into whatever culture you're attempting to dominate and right. kind of have it subsume them. And well, it's not a it's not a uh, um, it's not like a lot of other faiths where it's based in where you were born. Yeah, it's it's a it's an open it's. In religion, there are open practices which anybody can step into and convert into and just or they don't even have to convert. They can just borrow whatever they want from it. And then there's closed practices, which you either have to convert in or you have to literally be born into it. And Christianity is one of the most open religions in the entire world. And it was just it happened to combine with very powerful empires such as Rome and then later uh, the dominant powers of Western Europe. That that's why Christianity swallowed the world because it was very easy to it. It was an easy tool of oppression. The way that it was being used, combined with the people who got their hands on it and were able to main con- maintain control of it. You don't need to blame lizards in the stars. It was just it was human bullshit at its finest. Yep. No, I I agree. I I agree with everything that you guys that you guys said. Uh, I I think that there, you know, I think maybe sure, maybe there's a chance that these faiths have been manipulated by some higher power. Uh, but uh, ultimately, I don't think it is in any way how you know how uh, Len puts it. Uh, he's off the mark 100% here. <laughs> yeah. I, I also have one more point to make about this section. Sure. Uh, which I uh, found interesting. I'll put it that way. Uh, so I had a question throughout this whole period of the war between the reptilians and the Atlans. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my problem uh, among among many here is, okay, so the reptilians had initial control of Earth. They settled here first. Yes. According right. to Kasten, yes. Yes. We the Federation sent the Atlans here to settle as a kind of a way of like, you know, combating their claim. Okay. I'm one, I don't know why the reptilians who had these unbeatable ships let it happen. Uh and let the and also let the refugees from Marduk settle and the refugees from Mars settle here. But whatever, let's say that they were drunk or they just didn't notice, or maybe they were pretty isolated building up their city on Lem- Lemuria. They were on the other side of the world. Okay. 
Now let's get into another issue here. The Atlans wiped out the dinosaurs. The Atlans wiped out the dinosaurs because the large beasts kept trampling their crops. Okay. Right. And the dinosaurs were the only source of food for the reptilians, but they right. also eat people. But oh. among the dinosaurs was the woolly mammoth. Don't forget that. Right. The that's woolly a mammoth was a dinosaur, yeah. yes. Um, but my, God damn it. Uh, <laughs> no, but the my, my big issue is here is, okay, so the Atlans, though, were only in Atlantis. So why why don't we find fossils in one specific area in the world? Why does it seem like all the dinosaurs died everywhere all at once? Wouldn't the dinosaurs on Lemuria have survived? Wouldn't uh, there be some survivors out there if it was just yokels shooting them with plasma guns? But no, because that's a difficult question to answer if I want dinosaurs to be being shot with plasma guns. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. Um, and then I also just want to point out one thing that was towards the end of the Holy Roman Empire chapter. Uh, the Federation finally does something after creating Jesus. Because the Federation is the worst absentee father ever. Yeah, they, they created the, They created the human race, dropped us here with reptilians they knew were insidious dickholes, and went, good luck. But they gave us the Atlanteans. Oh, yeah, that went so good, the motherfuckers shot themselves. <laughs> the mother, yeah. They, <laughs> but then around the 17th century... The Federation got off their ass and they sent trained agents into European society. Trained agents such as Francis Bacon, oh, Rene Descartes, yeah. Isaac Newton, John Locke, Baron Spinoza, and Piera Bale, um, who ushered in the new scientific revolution and did away with all mystical beliefs, which I found hilarious given what we were just reading in Secret Teachers, yep. where half of those guys were closet wizards. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is fine. Uh, oh, by the way, towards the beginning of the book, uh, Hermes Trismegistus yep. got a shout out and it was it was startling. Oh, God, I was that was the first moment I knew I wouldn't get along with this book. And that was like in the first like 10 pages. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> that is it. it yeah. Yes. And then from there, it was just white knuckle grip in this book. <laughs> it's it's like that. It's it's like that meme of that chick from that reality TV show going Beyonce with like the crazy big guys it was just me Hermes Trismegistus I can't I can't wait until we read Dark Skies now oh god I forgot there's a fucking sequel Jesus <laughs> H okay alright well let's move into the modern world no thank god in 1913 the United States passed the Federal Reserve Act creating a central bank to oversee any monetary policy According to Caston, the Federal Reserve Bank was owned by the U.S. and European banks that are controlled by the reptilian Illuminati. No. Yep. No, they're not. But they are. It's there. It's on the page. It's in a book. So clearly it's real. Listen, I think Len Caston needs to drink less cough syrup. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Moving away, a restless Germany, likely influenced by reptilian mind control was working to build up their forces, leading up to June of 1914 when World War I began. It is without question, at least according to Kasten, that the Germans, needing not go into the war, used the Three Alliance Treaty between Hungary, Italy, and Germany as an excuse to show their military might. The Brotherhood of the Snake, which is the earthly reptilians, having failed to control those of European descent through religion, wanted to have them exterminated. More than 17 million people, mostly European, were killed in World War I, and another 43 million in World War II. 
The reptilians saw this as an opportunity and started to move people with higher reptilian DNA into the European region to dilute the resistant European blood and hopefully be able to seize control through the fourth dimension. Now, during World War II, the Brotherhood controlled, according to Kasten, only three men, Hitler, Mussolini, and Hirohodo. Like with all things, they were playing the long game. They started their influence in the late 1800s, at least in Japan, by, like they did in Germany, starting to build up their military and prepare for war, even crushing attempted coups. They discouraged free thinking and formed a more hive consciousness among the soldiers. Now, in 1937, the Japanese sent uh, these hive conscious troops into China striking the first blow that would eventually become World War II. Influenced by, their reptilian influenced by their reptilian brain, they took to the same strategies, raping and killing women along the battlefield. Now, Kasten actually goes into ridiculously deep detail in the book about all of this, and it's honestly really disturbing, so I don't want to talk about it any more than say it happened. There's pictures of severed heads. Yeah, like, it's disgusting. It's um historically it's known as the rape of Nanking, and there are plenty of better historical books and documents and uh, if you look hard enough, eyewitness accounts that will give you a vision of it that is not couched in Len Caston and bullshit Bob's well, fucking and, agenda. And also, just real quick, uh, one thing I want to note, as we enter this modern world section, this is where some of his actual good sources are, because he actually sources some of this from real, you know historians um and the, a lot of this stuff happened yeah he goes into a lot of detail of things that actually happened like uh like we'll talk about uh project or operation paperclip and things like that which we know happened because they were the 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 government documents have been released and we actually you know, like we know that these things happened but those are those are the, the like yeah those are the sources that he got that information from are good sources because they're known historians but his conclusions from it are wrong. Correct. All of this, uh, casting concludes, draws a logical line to reptilian influence, as the male-dominated society and treatment of women is in line with the ground-dwelling reptilians. It is hard to fathom, I suppose, that maybe, just maybe, Hirohito was a psychopath. <laughs> now, Hitler was more than just a pawn to the reptilians. He took to their prideful ruthlessness and was essentially a reptilian in human form. Kasten spends some time comparing Hitler and Nero, even saying that Hitler was likely a reincarnation of Nero because of their many similarities, both in their personal life and in the way they governed their countries. Now, in addition to being the second coming of Nero, Hitler was educated in the ways of the occult by a secret group known as the Thole Society. They have a Latin name, too, but I wasn't going to try and say it. But uh, Hitler was never actually formally invited to join, though Hitler was already showing talents as a medium and knew of the astral realm even before this. Between 1920 and 1923, Hitler took part in many seances with this society, and it is here that Kasten states, There is evidence, none provided, that Hitler's personality changed as he became taken over by a powerful, malevolent entity, believed by some to be the Antichrist. Cool. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Now, leaving the occult behind, Kasten says that Hitler's rise to power was clearly that of reptilian influence, due to the coincidental and convenient circumstances that he continued to find himself in, from escaping death to the training sessions by these occult teachers and stage actors, though no real evidence again is provided, just speculation based on nothing. Kasten previously used the comparison of Hitler's suicide to show the similarities to Nero. He also claims that Hitler didn't commit suicide, but instead escaped to Argentina. Using a combination of fake money, shell companies, and influence, they were able to smuggle some of the most notorious Nazi killers into other countries, all while planning their new way of world domination. Now, I do want to point out, there is evidence of Germans in Argentina, because there are Germans in Argentina, but little to none that Hitler was among them at the end of World War II. Now, from here, he goes on a riveting tale of how Hitler escaped through secret tunnels and delicately planned and placed ships and planes. He moves on to talk about the creation of the CIA and the Nazi influence on it, which does have some truth to it, as many ex-Nazis were part of the inaugural CIA. Yeah, but because it was all about spying on the Russians at that point, and the Nazis already had a pretty good intelligence apparatus for doing that. Exactly. Now. Let's, this brings me to my next discussion question. What are your thoughts on Hitler having escaped? It's pretty common knowledge that he used body doubles, and we never actually got rock-solid evidence of his death. Do you think it's possible that he escaped and tried to, maybe even successfully, infiltrate the U.S. with a bunch of Nazis? I think Hitler died in that bunker. I think Hitler and his whore died in that bunker. And I... I am deeply resentful of Len Kasten, despite clearly hating Hitler, also wanting to do his damnedest to make sure everyone knows exactly how cool Hitler was. <laughs> and that that's yeah. and I just. I, yeah. I mean, it's just like Len Kasten very clearly despises the reptilians, yet also worships them and desperately wishes he was one. And I. Oh, God. What if that's the secret? It's not that the like the, the heads of states are reptilians, but like the people who are pushing the reptilian conspiracy theory are the reptilians. They're just really bad at infiltration, which would <laughs> which would be counter to their uh, to the, the the facts that he put in this book that reptilians are masters of infiltration. And it, it's it just exactly what a reptilian would say. I so I think Hitler died in that bunker. I don't I. Yes, plenty of Nazis escaped to Argentina and Brazil and probably infiltrated our our government. But I much much like a lot of things in this book, there's a rhetoric here that I have grown very sick of. And it is the desperate, desperate attempt to make everything that happened in Germany during world during World War Two and the Holocaust to be exclusively the fault of one to five particular people. And now that those people are gone, oh, we all see how crazy that was. And it's it, it's like 
the the, the desperation in Len Caston to make sure that everybody knows that it's impossible for a normal human to be an anti-Semite, that it's impossible for a normal, perfect human to be capable of racism and sexism and violence. And it all comes from these secret infiltrators that look exactly like us, but are immensely powerful, but are also inferior and stupid and must be eliminated. That's that's just a man desperately trying to go not all white people that's just a man desperately trying to remove any modicum of responsibility from both himself and the people around him like god forbid that the great len caston be asked to look inward and examine his biases no it was hitler the antichrist lizard <laughs> that is the reason that six million jewish people were slaughtered like cattle it was all hitler well and actually yeah, again. All right. So before I give my answer to the question, I have to point out yet another narratological inconsistency. So Judaism was created by the Syrians, which are the dog people. Yes. Who are allied with the terrestrial, uh, well, you know, they were reptilians. created by the reptilians. Um, oh, okay. They just used a Syrian craft okay. to talk to Moses. Okay. So, yeah, they were created by the reptilians <laughs> to spread their influence. And these, the, and, so, and now we have this whole thing in World War II where they need to wipe out the Jews in order to dilute the purest human bloodlines. So which is it? Are the Jews a creation here to infiltrate and destroy us? Or are they a pure human bloodline that must be protected? The enemy is simultaneously superior and inferior. The, oh. the argument, I guess, that he makes in the book for that is because he couldn't, they couldn't control the Jewish population through the faith, therefore they had to be destroyed. But haven't we already set up that the reptilians through the Jews are what control the World Bank and hence the world? Well, yes. And these ideas in no way in your mind are contradictory to each other? Uh, no. Okay. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's... Uh, no, and as for Hitler... Uh, my answer here is kind of lame. I don't know. I wasn't in the bunker. I know that the book that he used as his source for that whole section, the whole uh, escape of Hitler called Grey, Grey Wolf. Wolf, it has been, you know, it is a history book. There are some people who believe it. There's more that don't. Uh, it's been widely derided by mainstream historians. Uh, that said, I don't know. Maybe those guys did find some secret evidence that Hitler escaped to Argentina. And maybe he did. I don't have enough expertise to say one way or the other what i can say is it was it had nothing to do with reptilians <laughs> yeah um, yeah and also i gotta say he has a, a line in here which just i don't know why but reading this sentence broke my brain a little in a way to the point that i just got up and walked away from the book for like 20 minutes and this is the one quote i'm gonna read this entire episode which is crazy for you i know because i couldn't find many that were written well enough for me to want to read them <laughs> Certainly. How could anyone believe? This is about Hitler's suicide. Certainly. How could anyone believe that someone so attached to implementing his crazed ideas in the world, someone who is so attached to life, could commit suicide? And that's his only evidence as to why Hitler didn't commit suicide. And Because why would he commit suicide? Well, and the... <laughs> 
that's the thing is that what this the author has a tendency of doing two things which irk me deeply one is whenever he wants to make a statement but he doesn't have enough evidence to support it he puts a question mark at the end because then it's no i'm not telling lies i'm just asking questions to get people thinking and then the other thing that he does is he states things that are fucking bonkers as objective fact with no attempt to try to build upon it or to even explain what he meant by it. Uh, the Illuminati bankers is one good example. Uh, another example, this is even early on in the book, he says something, it, and it, it is well known by this point that reptilians have long inhabited Earth and have been here for a long time. Moving on, no evidence, no discussion. It is a known fact. And if you disagree with it, too bad. It's here on the page, so you know it's real because you paid $12 for the book, you jackass. <laughs> I can't believe I fucking spent an audible credit on this shit. Yeah. But yeah, I, again, of it's just we we've now moved from fragile chauvinism to a very interesting form of toxic masculinity, which is the inherent worship of violent dictators even when you adhere what they actually did. It's it's something that I've seen before that again I just I strongly <laughs> disliked. Yeah, and yeah, and it 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 just it just seems like Len Caston is not secure in who he is as a person, and so he just projects onto these fucking fantasies of the reptilians and the wolfen ones and who he thinks Hitler was. When in reality, Hitler was exactly like Trump. If he was a loudmouth sh- fucking showpiece that got shoved to the front of a regime that was always going to enact this violence. Yes. Yeah. And th- I-, I hate the view of hitler as this machiavellian master and it's the same thing with you know trump and his 4d chess it's it is this projection this assumption that that madman up there clearly he's not an actual madman he has a plan and i follow the man with the plan because you just don't want to admit that you're following the guy for his shitty opinions not because he's actually going to do anything beneficial for your life fascism is a system and to a certain point of it's just does anybody remember in like the later half of uh, Game of Thrones, Daenerys was making that speech about how the great houses are spokes on a wheel, one's on top and then the other, and it just rolls on forever, crushing anyone beneath it? Yeah. That's what fascism is. That's what authoritarian governments are. And it doesn't matter what ideals they're spousing, and it doesn't matter who's at the front of them. Hitler, Trump, Stalin, uh, whatever fucking pharaoh in the Middle Kingdoms was currently getting duped into trying to make Egypt in monotheistic. It's all about control. And it's... Hitler is... A, a, a deeply evil man who either died in that bunker or died alone and uh, who died alone and in poverty in fucking South America. And it doesn't fucking matter. He's a deeply evil man. He deserves to be rotting in the earth wherever he is. But he's not this singular antichrist lizard that came from the stars to trick us all into doing bad things to Jews. He did bad things to Jewish people because nobody was willing to stand up for them. Yeah. And he was also, I got to point out, he was blitzed on meth pretty much yeah. all of World War yeah, II. He, he was tweaking. He wasn't even a fucking good 
goddamn government person. He was bad at his job. No, and, and actually, the funny thing is, even Len Kasson agrees with that because he said that even the reptilians were surprised by how fucking crazy he was, which personally, that's my favorite part of the book because I love the idea of this council of shadowy reptilians being like, how are our preparations going with Nazi takeover of Earth? Well... It's going okay, except this crazy motherfucker keeps throwing battalions into the snow of Siberia. Why is he doing it? I don't know. He's crazy and on meth. (laughs) Why did we put him in charge again? Oh, because we're lazy and incompetent. And without the guidance of mommy lizard, we have no idea what the fuck we're doing because the castration venom made us stupid. Well, you see, we're in the fourth dimension. So when Nero died, we took and Nero died right when he was fighting a Jewish uprising, which clearly means he's going to carry over hatred of the Jews into the next life. So we're just going to take him and put him in a new body. And uh, uh, by the way, we're going to pick a pretty dumpy body to do it with. Um, we're going to make sure he has a really fucking stupid mustache. And also, we're going to make sure he physically is everything that he hates. Yep. Great. Perfect plan. Yeah, all right. We do good work here. Team. It goes flawlessly until until Hirohoto's like, bomb the Americans. And the Americans are like, listen, we're all down for eugenics, but those were some expensive ass boats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, that was riveting. <laughs> I'm furious. <laughs> well, in chapter 20... He goes on to talk about Operation Paperclip, which, in short, is an intelligence operation where the U.S. took more than 1,600 scientists, engineers, and technicians from Nazi Germany. And this happened. Yes, that happened. Yeah. yeah this was the best yeah. chapter in the book, in yeah, my opinion, because it was well-sourced. We super yeah. did that. And it seems to me, and I'm not going to go into the detail of Operation Paperclip, go read a history book if you want to do that, but it seems to me that at least... Uh, that Craston, while giving a detailed account of the project, his point was to show that the Nazis, through this uh, Galen organization, which was an overseas corporation ran by uh, a Nazi named Reinhard Galen, who was a lieutenant general in the Nazi army. Uh, the point was that this corporation is actually calling the shots, that we're not provided with anything beyond speculation from Caston on this. Um, but Caston says that that alone is evidence that the Brotherhood of the Snake was up to their old games again, that they were controlling Galen and Galen was controlling everything. So meanwhile, the U.S. launched Operation High Jump, where they were going to Antarctica to study uh, the land there and go under the Atlantic. Now, according to Kasten, this was repelled by German flying discs that came from the water. Yep. Mm-hmm. None of the German flying discs are documented in the released documents of the operation because it was made public. And Kasten does not cite a source for this. Nope. Uh, he claims that the general that was in charge of the operation said it, but there is no quote on record anywhere of this. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and for the record, this is an old UFO story. Like, I have heard different versions of Bird's Expedition eight or nine times, like in the past yeah. year alone. And it's always a little different. Sometimes it's grays, sometimes it's Nazis. Uh, it's an old story that you can just, pl- you know, take out and plug into whatever you want and make it work. And here's the thing about that the, the whole project was actually documented by military personnel and released in a documentary. Yeah. So we know at least what happened 
So where Casting got the idea that German flying saucers killed 68 men on a mission where only three died is beyond me. Well, I mean, you got got to remember, like, I mean, 65 extra people. They, you know, they just had those in the cargo bay. Right. They were extra bodies to fill out the between shots. You know, get that, you know, make sure you got to fill the rising action of your action movie before you get to the climax. You need a lot of bodies to fill. Right. You know, that documentary actually won an award, too. I mean, I don't know what to do with that information, but good for them. <laughs> like, good for them for get, winning an award for telling at least a truthful version of these events. Yeah. So with this fictional battle won, the Germans of Argentina felt confident to enact their final plan for the Fourth Reich to gain control of the U.S. and suppress space travel, which is the first time we're hearing of that part of the plan. I am so tired of hearing about the fucking Fourth Reich. I feel like the plan like, is being developed second to second as the book is being written. Yeah, no, I agree. The Brotherhood of the Snake could not let these Earthlings reach out to helpful aliens like the Palladians and Andromedans. No, they needed control. Now, citing loose fact, Kasten states that it is probable to assume that Nazis infiltrated the CIA with the help of Alan Dulles, who he claims is a Nazi sympathizer. Now, we do know for a fact that Dulles had met with Hitler and Mussolini. But after a business trip to Germany, uh, Doles pushed for the closing of his law firm, uh, of the law firm that he worked for, their Berlin office, because of the treatment of Jewish people in the concentration camps. On the flip side, Doles, or Dulles, or however you say his name, was also behind MK Ultra and the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba. So um, we know he's not exactly a great guy. But we have little evidence to suggest that he was a Nazi sympathizer. But Kasten states it as if it was fact. So, nonetheless, Kasten moves on to the U.S. space program, calling NASA a failed organization, (laughs) stating that since we are still relying on rocket power, which he claims is ancient technology at this point, and since they have, on average, a $15 billion budget, that there is clearly some secret other project happening that we are unaware of. Why haven't we gotten to Mars yet? Uh, Because if we make one tiny error in the calculations, everyone on the shuttle dies. Yeah. And since we do not know about these make-believe projects, it's clearly the work of the Brotherhood of the Snake. Now, Casting continues saying that since so many of the scientists that were rolled into NASA during its creation were ex-Nazis, it's only right that we assume their influence is still active now and that NASA is compromised by the reptilian overlords. The real space program, Kasten says, is the anti-gravity disks that we have had since 1962. We back-engineered these disks from a craft that we were gifted in 1953 from the Ebens, from the planet Serpo which is the same species of alien that crashed here in 1947 at the famed Roswell crash. According to Kasten in his book, Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, he also claims that in 1962, we, using this tech, have outposts on the moon and on Mars. Uh, And interesting, that book that was just mentioned, uh, Secret Travel to Planet Serpo? Secret Journey to Planet Serpo. Secret Journey to Planet Serpo. It's his book. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Uh, And he quotes it too uh it says which is uh just 
just infuriating. But w- one interesting thing I dug into that the pretty much the main source for that st- part of the story for that book was an email uh, that was sent anonymously to the moderator of a UFO forum. And that email was supposedly from a former uh, defense intelligence agency general who was codenamed anonymous. So, I mean, it's a really reliable source. Oh, yeah. Rock solid, that one. Yeah. So in addition to these wild claims, he states that we have spaceships capable of Mach 50 that can come to a complete stop within two milliseconds, which, while would be cool... We have no method of keeping the pilots from becoming liquid jelly once they go those speeds. Mm-hmm. Now, around February 21st, 1954, casting claims that President Eisenhower met with a gray, which he claims earlier in the book are reptilians or reptilian hybrids with Syrians, which are the wolf people. And they forged the Treaty of Greida. Greida? Yeah, whatever. This treaty allows the Greys to abduct a limited number of humans to examine and study, and in return, they'll give us advanced technology. In addition to the human fur technology swap, the U.S. agreed to build deep underground bases, called dumbs, where the deeper you go, the more horrors you see. Things like multi-legged humans, mothmen, and more, all to help humans learn more about genetics. Some Americans, disgusted by this, revolted against the Greys, and battle ensued, resulting in the death of dozens of human security officers and one Grey. Back to space. But specifically on Mars, we get the testimony of Randy Kramer, and I'm going to admit this was one of my favorite chapters in the book because it was fucking wild. And Randy Kramer here claims to have been part of a super soldier experiment on Mars, He tells us of five human colonies on Mars, managed by super soldiers from different nations. He says that he was one of a thousand humans living on the surface and underground, coexisting with reptilians and insectoids on Mars. Mind you, Kasten states that Kramer previously had his mind erased, so I guess we can take this with a grain of salt. And now, jumping around like a madman without a point, we go back to Earth and the reptilian-run Illuminati. Like they did in ancient Egypt, they work to control us through debt. In addition to this, they are using the Illuminati-controlled UN to push an agenda of population transformation. They are creating and cloning millions of hybrids and pushing the transhumanist agenda to make humans less flesh and more robotic. According to Kasten, it's only a matter of time before we are outnumbered by clones and robots and slaves and will become annexed to the alien empire. And this will bring us to our final discussion question. Do you believe that there was a treaty made with the Greys that we (laughs) allow humans to be abducted in exchange for technology that we are not using publicly? Additionally, 95% of this book is based on debunked science and speculation and wackos, I'm going to be honest. But if you had to pick something... What do you think Kasten is most likely right about, or at least close on, and don't say Operation Paperclip? Okay, so uh, regarding the story about the Greys and the deal, again, that is an old story that has been around since the 60s. I've seen it, it come up again and again. It is a popular part of the quote ufo lore um i have seen no compelling evidence for it i've seen uh 
I mean, it's you can't really pr- prove a negative. I've not seen any compelling evidence for it. Could I in a, believe in a world where that could be possible? Sure. I mean, that sounds like the kind of shady things that government officials have done before. And maybe it's even something that some politicians, if given the opportunity to, would do. Um, in regards to what Kasten was most accurate about, or what he's probably closest about, I don't know. It's really hard to pick. I mean, my my gut says Operation Paperclip. It says the information about the rape and name king, uh, the attack on Belgium, all the stuff about World War Two that was sourced from actual historians who knew what they were talking about. All of that was very compelling. And I learned a lot. Uh, in fact, I would even recommend uh, not buying the book, but if you could <laughs> get your hands on it, read like chapters 19 through 21. It's about all you need. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's I mean, 21, right. you can probably even cut. Um, but that said, I I think that if there is anything that that may be true here, maybe I could buy that we did work with whoever was in the, whatever was the occupant of the Roswell crash. I've heard that story come up a couple times that the Greys or whatever they were that came out of that ship uh, kind of lived on Area 51 or S4 for a while and maybe made friends with some people. I, I think that that's a cool story. Sure, I'll buy it, um, but not literally anything else here. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that's it. I do not think we have a treaty with the Greys. I think that's complete bullshit. I think it's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in a line of incredibly stupid things that I've heard. Sure. And I think that it is, I, I think that it is a facet of the larger loss of I think it is a facet of the larger sign of Len Caston and those like him becoming completely unmoored from reality and just descending into this self-contained pit of angry paranoia, but they don't have to do anything about it because obviously you can't dismantle the systems of systemic oppression and fascism if it's backed by the Illuminati and a treaty with the Greys. You're just helpless, so you can just you can just stay in your sad little room sending harassing messages to instagram models because clearly they're reptilians trying to seduce you with their venom sacks that they have on the front of their chest what else are those for cindy i i like nick said i've seen no i've seen no evidence of that and i think the I think the implication that clear that why hasn't NASA made more progress shows a fundamental misunderstanding of aerospace engineering. Yes. Um, and it just clearly, I, and maybe that's another part of that, uh, of just that weird idea of just like, well, how can we not have, uh, we the mighty humans, how could we not have made progress? It's like, cause it's fucking hard, man. And, well, and also after the space race, it was very poorly funded. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't until very recently they had any kind of a workable budget. $15 billion for an organization as large as NASA who are expected to do the sort of things that they're doing is a shoestring budget, especially compared to what our military projects are given. Um, what do I think he's most right about? My heart wants to say, yes, there is a reptilian empire 
and I accept her as my lady and savior. And she, <laughs> I, I, I love the reptilian queen. I love uh, her. It's great sci-fi. Hell She's yeah. awesome. I, Robert Morning Sky should have written a fucking sci-fi book. Yes. I would have read it. I'd have been a fan of his. But no, he had to go and say it's true. Can you imagine playing in a fucking tabletop where you're like a human adjacent species trying to navigate through this jointly controlled Wolfen one and reptilian owned star system? Like that would be fucking rad. Like, yeah, it, it would be cool. I mean, it's a cool story. Yeah. It's Star Wars. It's neat. It is. It is Star Wars. I. As for what he's most right about, I I guess I could see, you know what, if some actual historical evidence that came out that was like, no, we're, we're, we're starting to have strong evidence that Hitler did live out another couple decades in South America, I'd be like, okay, that sucks, but he's dead now, right? And clearly whatever he was trying to accomplish down there didn't fucking go through. Where's the Fourth Reich, Len? Where is it? Well, it... It's I mean, I think his argument would be it's us. It's the U.S. government now. No, it's the it's the military industrial complex, the deep state. Almost definitely. Actually, Uh, Um, I I actually think that you hit on you. You did. You touched on like one of the points that I, I, I think is one of my biggest takeaways from this book. And it's that Len Kasten fundamentally doesn't understand a lot of what he wrote about. Yeah, Uh, because there was little science in a book about things that are that should be riddled with science. Uh, there was misfacts and misinterpretations of faith, um, you History. know, and religion. And I, I, and I think that, I think that is a big part of why he probably took so much to these stories to him because he doesn't have that foundational understanding of uh, clearly doesn't have that foundational understanding of science and religion that to him it was easier i guess to swallow these reptilian ideas um that uh, over you know the academic truths behind these things and i think that speaks to a lot of what you've been saying throughout this whole episode jay which is the um like sexism and racism that is spewed throughout this book. And I think that in part is because he probably believes those things. And he he probably doesn't like, like Nick said a couple of times, he might not realize that that is the rhetoric that he's repeating. Right. I think, yeah, I, I, I think he has a deep sense of frustration and entitlement and a feeling that there is power in this world that I have been taught should be mine, but I don't have it. And I have to come up with explanations for why I don't have it. But he's been mired in enough of our society that he sort of knows it's like it's wrong to hate black people. It's wrong to hate women. It's wrong to hate Jews. So he has to assign this other shit to it so that prejudice has somewhere to go and i think that like a lot of these conspiracy theorists if you dig down deep enough this is just a sad angry man looking for purpose yeah so yeah i mean and some of the racism like like you said i think i i agree in that i don't think he would ever call himself a racist yeah or sex. I, I, I think that it is all though, but the structure he's built here in this fiction story he's written, <laughs> um, it definitely it what it does is it gives fuel for people who will admit that they're racist. Right. Uh, for example, like one thing that he mentioned was part of the uh, 
plan was to dilute the pure Middle Eastern, uh, sorry, no, the pure uh, European bloodlines because they were too human. They had too much human in them and not enough reptile, so they couldn't be as easily controlled. And the way, one of the ways they did it, in addition to you know killing millions over World War One and World War Two, was to cause a mass immigration problem from Syria and Iraq because the Middle Easterners were of stronger reptilian blood. Yep. And you could say stuff like that, and it, I'm sure in his worldview of all the all the different races were created by aliens, and they all have different mixtures in them. They're really different species. It's not registering in his head how fucked up of a thing that is to, of, to bring up. Of course, what not. it does, it, it gives again. It is not in itself a reason for racism because it's it's not true. What it is, though, is is a reason it is a reason for anyone who already was racist to go out and continue to perpetuate their beliefs it's right. also it's also a form of i think building tolerance in new recruits of like in oh, some yeah. ways it is kind of like secret school initiation uh like like with David Icke, one example that I heard is that David Icke and his followers will straight up take anti-Semitic pamphlets from like Nazi era Germany and just do search and replace and replace Ju- Juden with reptilian. I mean, and that is what gets distributed. Well, that's a basis of part of David Icke's arguments because God, what is it? The Articles of Zion or something like yes. that. Yes. So it was this the Articles of Zion. I think that's what it's called. Uh, where basically it was a fake document that was created and leaked, quote unquote leaked, uh, that outlined a secret Jewish plan for world domination. And Uh this was it was made by white supremacists, by by anti-Semites. Yes. As a re in order to justify their actions against them. Uh, David Icke was the first one to say, well, that is meant to be read allegorically. It's secretly about reptilians. Yes. And so really all it is is just saying, well, I can't be anti-Semitic anymore. But again, like you said, if I put this dressing on it, I can still go to cons and talk about this and make money off of it. Yes. And I I do believe that at like at its root, this is a recruitment tactic. And I made I made a rather. I made a rather dark joke, uh, listeners, a little while ago about how I said Len Len Caston very clearly disagrees with the Holocaust, mainly about how inhumane it was. And basically, I kind of implied that it's like he he probably would end up supporting a more humane version of the final solution. I don't. And that is, again, keep coming back to this fucking narrative of control and that it's always just one group of assholes using a different flavoring of whatever it is to recruit sad angry vulnerable people into their rhetoric and convince them day by day and month by month and book by book that this is normal this is okay this is what you're supposed to be doing like yeah and no the the whole thing ultimately comes is it's fucked up, ultimately, at the end yeah. of the day. No, it, it is. So before we uh, end, I just want to make one thing clear. Obviously, as with this book, with any book, as we've said on multiple previous episodes, I do my best to, at least me, I do my best to suspend my disbelief and to entertain whatever is put in front of me because partially because uh, you know it makes it, it makes it easier to get through the book and wrap my head around concepts. But also, uh, I don't know, because it, it allows me to engage more deeply with the material. And then after I'm done, I can step back and look at it a little more objectively and decide if there's anything really worthwhile there. 
Um, and I had a real hard time doing it with this book. And there's a, and the reason is there's a lot of things to not like here. Yeah. Um, it's a lot we've already talked about the the uh, thinly veiled sexism, the thinly veiled racism, the anti-Semitism. Um, and also, I mean, as someone with a literary background, how poorly written it is. I've been joking for days how I want to take all the exclamation points that Len Caston used and build a cage out of them to put him in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there is one other thing in here that I think offends me on a much deeper, more profound level. And I, I have to point it out throughout the book. Uh, he keeps bringing up several times. What he does is when he, there is some sort of horror happening, uh, some sort of thing that humanity's doing, the rape of Nanking, the attack, the Nazi attack on Belgium. Uh, I'm missing one. Oh, the Holocaust. Jesus. Yep. Um, he tends to say, we know that this was the reptilians because the reptilians are X. And that statement, the re- it is known the reptilians are, and then he just inserts in whatever trait is being attributed to the atrocities humanity is committing. They're so brutal. They're so vile. They're rapists. They're murderers. They're eating children. And ultimately, uh, much like with the argument that aliens built the pyramids or things like that, it's taking the blame out of the hands of humans. Yep. And the reason I find that so immensely offensive is because this book, I, just reading it with even a little bit of critical eye, you know that this is not, if there is a reptilian plot, it's not described here by Len Caston. Uh, and my point being is that you have these blatant untruths, these blatant logical contradictions put alongside the work of legitimate historians who are recounting some of the most horrific things that human beings have gone through on this planet. Those were real people. Those were real children. Those were real women. Those were real fathers. Those were real people who were brutal, brutalized, murdered, uh, raped, had their possessions and their treasures stolen and sent around the world. And you, we don't get to back away from that and say, oh, no, it was the reptilians, because doing that lets us skip right past the difficult questions about our own nature and our culpability in this. It's pathetic. It's cowardly. And it gives us permission to not do the kind of introspection necessary to actually fix our fucking society. That's exactly what I was. Thank you. That is exactly yep. what I was screaming about with centralizing Nazism to just being Hitler. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, it, 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 it infuriated me on a level I really wasn't expecting, because like I said i try to be really uh accepting of whatever i read in these books and i try to be real keep an open mind about the world and the nature of reality and what could really be out there and to me this was an insult not only to my intelligence it was an insult to everyone who suffered at the hands of the nazis because i'm sorry you don't get to say, well, humans would never do those brutal things. Clearly, it had to be Nazis. I'm, all that does is it washes the blood off of history. And we need to see that blood. We need to understand where we came from or we will never become better than that. And that, to me, that's the hope. We need to understand who we are on some level in order to rectify with it, in order to have some sort of coming to Jesus moment where we can acknowledge that, yeah, these are the fucked up things we humans did and we can do better and we should do better. Uh, and I think that's it. That's the tirade I've been holding at the bottom of my soul now for two weeks. Well, um, the I guess the last bit that I just want to say is I'm not like like I agree with everything you just said, obviously, like no, no questions asked and unrelated to that, but related to the book. I am not saying 
that I'm completely opposed to the idea that there may be reptilians. There are other people besides Lancaston out there that have, you know, written stuff besides Caston and even Ike that have written and talked about uh, reptilians. In fact, I was listening to a uh, Exo Academia podcast uh, just the other day, and he was talking about uh, reptilians on there. Yeah, I mean there there's and there's plenty of good contactee stories about reptilians. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying that you know uh this the you know cuz this isn't the only evidence. But in terms of what Len Caston is saying here, I I do I don't believe anything really anything outside of what I know is factually true uh historically from this book and that's that, that's my biggest takeaway even you know uh, after the whole thing, I'm not saying that reptilians aren't here or haven't been here. In fact, there's more evidence, uh, you know, from other people to suggest that they're a more recent arrival than Caston believes with them being having been here the entire time. But otherwise, I think that's all for Alien World Order. You can purge it from your mind, Nick. Thank God. I, I'm so done. I'm, I, I, we better have a better book next time. Well, it's your choice. Oh. <laughs> it's Passport to Begonia, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, God, I've already forgotten it. Jesus. Yes, uh, join us in two weeks as we take on Jacques Vallée's seminal work, Passport to Begonia. It is an absolute classic. I am so excited to see Rory and Jay read it for the first time. Please because save us, Jacques I think this Vallée. is my third run-through of the book, God. and I love it more each time God, I read it. Jacques Vallée, I missed you. Thank you, Jacques Vallée, for coming <laughs> back into our lives and making me smart again. <laughs> well, you want to know the funny thing is I actually... So in starting my reread of it for the next episode, I noticed something that made me think about Alien World Order is right out. He says that this is not a scientific text. This is a philosophical one. You need to understand that all I'm doing here is I'm pointing a finger at an area of the phenomenon that is being ignored. And I appreciated that because... He provided me con. He provides right out the context to understand that what he's saying is maybe not fully fact or maybe not fully right. He's saying here are ideas. Do with them what you want. Not what Lancaster does, which is I'm going to tell you the objective truth with as many exclamation points as I can fucking handle. Okay, maybe I had a little anger left in me. I'm sorry. I'm done now. Well. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, like and subscribe on whatever streaming platform that you're listening on. But also, if you have any questions, concerns, book requests, if you enjoyed uh, what we were talking about and you just want to shoot us an email, go ahead and shoot us an email at noctivigantpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can, uh, or and please follow us on Twitter at noctivigantpod. And I am on Twitter as well at mixrorywicks. I am at Midwest Undead. And I am at Bearish Terror. Well, I think that's it. I think that's it. So good night, ghosties. Good night, ghoulies. And good night, moth people. Stay safe out there. Goodbye. Bye.
don't buy the book. Just don't. Go, like, pirate it somewhere if you want to read this madness, but don't. Don't give this man money. <laughs>